right. Well, you can be seated, and we'll continue to celebrate that Jesus is alive and, and here today. He gives, he gives the opportunity for you to receive him and have him in your heart and live that life in each one of us, and we're so grateful. We're so grateful. Well, the last few weeks, we have been working through this open table idea, finding nourishment for your soul, and we've been walking through the book of Luke and stopping at the meals along the way. <laughs> uh, if you've been here, you, you know what we're talking about. If not, we've really said, you know, we're not looking at every single verse in Luke, but looking at these significant times where Jesus has a meal, which is a lot, frankly, that's recorded in the book of Luke. Meals were a big deal. Uh, sharing a table 2,000 years ago in the Hebrew culture was a very big deal as they were relational, and they were often very long, quite frankly, the meals were, and really as much about sharing life as it was about sharing food. It wasn't just kind of the fast food scarf and, and run out the door. So today, we're going to take a look at the next passage uh, in the book of Luke, and there's a good chunk of passage printed there in your outline, and when it comes time, it'll be on the screens as well. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Luke 11 as well to follow along. We're going to be looking at this meal and, uh, and see what God had f has for us. It's a time when Jesus was invited to eat with some religious rulers. They were called Pharisees. And uh, the issue that's going to come up in great detail is a concept of purity. Purity, what it means to be clean and unclean. And uh, we'll see that this idea of being pure and this idea of purity and being clean was a big, big deal to the religious leaders of that day. And in fact, the Pharisees of that day, these religious rulers, leaders, would barely even eat with those that they considered impure or unclean. They might go somewhere and kind of be around but distant from, from the unclean, but they sure aren't going to invite them into their inner circle. They didn't want to associate with those types of people, and they didn't want the impurity to rub off on them, nor did they want their reputations dragged into that sort of filth. Well, as I spent time this week studying for today's talk about what it means to be clean and unclean in this meal and what happens in this really contentious time, <clears throat> I'm not even sure that much food is eaten, and we'll see that in a moment. But uh, my mind went to something that my kids did when they were younger, and it wasn't clean. Um, <laughs> Now, I have to say that my wife, Debbie, loves for things to be clean. She loves them to be straight. She loves them to be in order. And so living with our five children, about uh, eight years top to bottom of those five kids, has been a bit of a challenge. Plus, I'm involved in that as well. So um, a challenge for her at times. So the fact that Debbie allowed the kids to develop and actually play in and participate in what affectionately became known as the mud hole was a big deal. Uh, I think we both understood that good, clean fun isn't always clean. So I put up a few pictures so you can kind of get a picture. This is my oldest, Joshua, and somewhere along the way that they, we started excavating this hole out in the front that since has been developed, and it's much more pretty, but this was good fun here. And so a hole got dug and dug and dug, and a hose got dragged over there. And this, this didn't just happen once. It became a, oh, good, can we have the mud hole today? And uh, you see Zach with his shovel there. This is a Zach a few years ago, and you can see the mud hole's getting ready. And then you just did whatever you wanted to do in the mud hole. And that's my princess, Hannah. And uh, she, and uh, yes, sometimes it got, <laughs> you can't even tell which one that is. The mud hole, what a beautiful memory there and, and wonderful things. And I, and I thought, you know, if we talked about clean and unclean, that was like, oh my goodness, you know, the clothes didn't really come clean after that, whatever they, they wore, you know, hopefully it was something very old. And, you know, many of us laugh at these pictures, but some of us really, I think, could, could gasp at it in a sense because 
that concept of being that dirty doesn't sit well with us. You know, we don't necessarily judge the kids, but we're horrified at the thought of us being that dirty. You know, in a sense, there's kind of that projection. You know, a little bit of dirt from time to time is okay. And, and for some of you, honestly, I thought about it. Some of you, your work demands that you get pretty grimy. But it really is all a setup for the opportunity to go shower it off and kind of feel like, ah, this is better. You know, get the, get the stuff off of me. You know, that, that's when we can relax. So here's a bit of truth as we take a look. I, I, I really started thinking about this idea of, of this meal that we're going to look at. But this idea of clean and unclean, and, and we work so hard to be clean, and, and yet... The truth is that it goes inside us. Our desire is to feel clean far beyond the physical as it reaches inside of us, into our hearts and into our souls and to places that aren't so easy to see the dirt. You know what I mean? It is not so easy to see. And then it's not so easy to clean as well. You know, it's not a little bit of hand sanitizer or a little soap and water that gets the job done. And uh, I I think uh, all of us feel unclean at some level at different times in our lives. And when we feel unclean, the problem is it creates distance. When we feel unclean, we feel unacceptable to others and and maybe even to God, unacceptable to God. So this idea of clean and unclean, it's a huge issue. Does God want to eat a meal and and have community with, with, uh, with only those who are pure? Pure like he is pure? Or will he truly welcome those of us that feel unclean? Well, let's read today's verses from the Bible to see Jesus' encounter at a meal, again, over this idea of being clean and unclean. And I'm going to read the entire passage. I thought, you know, we're going to kind of go through it verse by verse, but I really want to read the whole thing. It's going to take some time, and it took up half the outline space, so there aren't many fill-in-the-blanks. So if you're a little tired of writing this morning, it's perfect for you. But I thought, you know, I really want to get the context of the whole thing, of the whole story, and then we'll go back and kind of tear it apart if that works for you. So Luke, uh, again, if you have your Bible, you can open Luke 11, starting at verse 37. You can follow along on the screens of your outline or just listen to me, but here we go. So when Jesus had finished speaking, I'll talk about that in a minute. He's been teaching many people, and the Pharisees were nearby as well. But when he had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. There we go. So he, Jesus, went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Well, then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish. But inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who make the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, ruin all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings and places in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. (laughs) Well, one of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, (laughs) when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, (laughs) woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that, that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you built their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, well, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. 
Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the, the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. <laughs> Woe to you, experts in the law, because you've taken away the keys to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. Well, we're going to stop right there and take it then because there's stuff before it and stuff after it. But here's this passage, and sometimes it's called the seven woes passage because Jesus kind of woe to you, woe to you seven times. He just kind of, it's hard hitting. And, and I want to pull it apart. You see, Jesus accepts this meal he's been teaching. He accepts this meal, this table fellowship meal with a Pharisee, and he joins a group of religious leaders at a bit of an exclusive meal. You see, the Pharisees only invited people they considered to be clean and pure to the table, right? People that would be fitting to eat with them. The unclean were not acceptable and not invited. So it's kind of the nose is in the air, you know? We're going to take a chance on this respected new rabbi, but not even Jesus' closest followers were invited in. Did you think about that? I said they invited Jesus. Well, he's, he's there with his 12, his closest, his posse, his group. But he's there with many, many more that are there. And, and then they invite Jesus. And we'll leave your rabble outside. You come on in. Right? Because you see, these followers were not maybe going to be as pure and as clean. The, these men had been fishermen and tax collectors and other unclean, undesirable. So they didn't make the guest list. Right off the bat, they're on the outside. My muddy kids wouldn't have been invited. <laughs> and come to think of it, neither would I. Um, I'm the dad of these unclean kids, so I'd be seen as a bit unclean myself. Plus, I've been known to gather a little mud on my face from, from time to time. And uh, so I'd be left out of the party too. Now, right before Jesus was invited to the meal, I talked about this. He, this passage before it, he was talking about light and darkness and the importance of being full of light inside and out at, at, in, in your full being. And he was basically explaining the importance of being saturated with that light. And of course, the light that he's talking about is purity, saying not just on the outside, not just on the inside, but the whole thing. And he, he develops this whole idea. And so as he finishes his teaching and the Pharisee is there, the Pharisee says, wonderful, great talk. Hey, Jesus, come to dinner with us. Well, that's an important backdrop to things because, because um, I think Jesus wonders how much of that teaching did the Pharisee really hear and understand because he moves from that very teaching into the, into the house, into the place. And, uh, and the first thing that happens is he offends his host by not washing. He said it's important to be clean, to be, have the light through the eyes inside and out, and he comes on in and he just goes and reclines on the couch. Well, the significance of this is big. He starts the meal unclean. It's an important customary ritual that they observe before eating, and it kind of offends his host. Now, I have to explain to you this. This was not a biblical mandate, and it was not an issue of physical cleanliness, okay? This was not a thing of like, here's this disgusting, dirty, stinky old dude, skip the washing, okay? This was just something that was a ritual, a ritual cleanliness, and it's something you did because it was, because it was the right thing to do in the culture that honestly the Pharisees had put, uh, put on them Failing to do so almost marked you as an outsider in this community, okay? Almost like you don't know what's going on. And it certainly said to the host, I don't share the same values that you share about purity. So in a sense, Jesus kind of snubs him, and at, at least at first glance. 
So it's kind of interesting. Again, I almost see, like, as I thought this passage, it's like, well, why did Jesus do that? Except I think he knew exactly where things were headed. He's just been talking about what it means to have the light inside of you and to, you know, the, the integrity, meaning integrity, integer one, to be, to be pure inside and out and to be seeking that, desiring that. And then he kind of comes in and says, I kind of think, maybe he's kind of going, let's, let's test this one out. And he skips the washing and just kind of goes and reclines on the couch. I'm ready to eat. Wonder what's going to happen. Well, it says here again, and I love in Scripture when you see a few words, sometimes you back up and say, there's just so few words, but what really is going on? Because it says that the Pharisee is surprised, some, some translations say, amazed by Jesus not washing. And then Jesus responds, and you think, is the Pharisee over in the back going? And then Jesus responds, perhaps, we, we don't know for sure. But maybe he wasn't just quietly surprised. Maybe his surprise was judgmental and condemning. Maybe it was disapproving. Maybe all the religious leaders gathered there, and we'll see that there were a bunch, a gathering of only the pure and clean people. Maybe they see Jesus as deviant in his behavior right there, and they grumble about it. I thought this rabbi was clean. So as Jesus comes in, skips this, that everybody else is doing this watching process, and it's kind of, what's going on? Is, is it just, wow, look at that. He didn't wash. Or was it? He didn't wash. You know, what does it turn into here? We don't know for sure, but it's enough for Jesus to launch into something that was not common at mealtimes. You see, the mealtimes there, um, Jesus lets them have it with the directness. It's uncommon at the meals. Again, because mealtimes were, were focused on the relational part and almost bonding with community with a person there. Sometimes they would have lively debate, and there were actually even Hebrew terms for that at the time. So it's not that you couldn't, you, know, you had to just you know, talk about pleasantries and say, nice weather, right? You know, sometimes they'd get into it, but it was always done with, we want to make sure it's civil and it happens with the context of good fellowship and community. Well, that's not what happens here. I read through the passage, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Basically, he's shaking his finger at them verbally. And so that's what's going on. It obviously was pretty negative. And Jesus goes after the concept of purity here because they, in essence, their surprise and murmuring, whatever might have happened, is calling him out on his impurity. Not that his hands are dirty, not that he's unsanitary, but that he didn't do the right thing that would signify him as customarily and as a custom pure he reveals that God's idea of purity and their idea of purity are vastly different. And Jesus knows that they didn't follow the teaching about light that he just, that he just finished. Like, oh boy, here we go. So on your outline, and I think it's on the backside when it's there after that passage, there's a few fill-in-the-blanks. Mostly, uh, again, on these first bunch of verses, I just jotted some words and I want to highlight as we walk through the passage. First, what we're going to do today is look at what happened Look at what's going on as Jesus exposes the unclean truth of the legalistic religious leaders. This is important because I want to understand this passage, but the truth is this is around us today. This is people around us today. This is our culture today. This is temptation for you to fall into. And in fact, if truth be known, and no one's going to ask you, it's a chance for you to look at yourself and say, is this me a little bit? Each one of these, is there some truth of this in me as well? I found myself in some of these, and it wasn't, it wasn't fun. But uh, that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to kind of move through, and then we're going to do some applications specifically for us as we look at this Jesus inviting those who feel unclean to the table. Well, the overall problem that Jesus exposes in this, in, this, in this passage is that these rule followers focused on the externals, on how they looked. 
right, on, on what looked good. And, and they ignored the inside, which is where the purity is truly found. And Jesus calls them out on this. First of all, he calls them out on their hypocrisy. And I put in lack of integrity. That, that passage starts because as they start to say they're surprised and perhaps there's grumbling and whether it's passive aggressive, whether it's behind the scenes, maybe it's even a little bit more out loud. But Jesus says to them, now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Thanks for inviting me to dinner. You foolish people, right? He's going for it. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Jesus says, I didn't ceremonially wash my hands like you did in what you think is proper. And you're surprised at my apparent lack of cleanliness. And yet you did wash your hands and you somehow miss your own filth, <laughs> which permeates your entire being. You are hypocrites and you lack integrity. Just thought I'd point that out all this before the appetizer. You know, I just, Jesus reclining at couch here and this whole thing starts just blowing up before him. Now, that's just where he starts, and he calls them on it, saying, wait a second, you, you are total hypocrites here. Oh, wash your hands, but there's filth inside. And, and, and yet, in the midst of these verses, I didn't want to miss this. Jesus may be accusing the Pharisees of wickedness, when he is, which is easy to see, but, but he also maybe is opening the door to repentance, you see, even in his accusations, he offers redemptions. He gives them the path to purity. He says in the midst of this, he could simply say, you worry about the outside. The inside is unclean. You're, you're a mess. But he actually says, well, give to the poor. Let your insides impact your outsides. And this purity breaks down walls between people, you know, different classes, different groups, instead of separating them based on legalistic behaviors. And I almost see that Jesus makes this redemptive offer, this comment, and maybe, just maybe, it impacts one of the men there. I don't know. There's this group of all these guys, and you got to know, by the way, when he finishes this whole thing, the next couple of verses after we finished is that the guys go ballistic crazy and start plotting and figuring out how to trap him, and they just, they're really ticked off. So no one receives this well in terms of, you know, the whole group. And yet I wonder if there's one man there, maybe there's one woman, one man here today that needs to get this one little piece. And, and Jesus knows it's going to go over so many people's heads. But he says, you do this and you ignore this. And really what you need to do is give to the poor. Let your insides impact your outsides. If God changes your heart, you're going to start caring about people instead of caring about what you look like. And you almost wonder, is there an offer of redemption here? Is there an offer of here's a solution and a path that you can take? He makes this offer. But then Jesus goes on and he calls the Pharisees out on their pettiness and their imbalance. This is the herb section, you know, for those of you that are into herb gardens. This is a crack up. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. You can research what rue is. I did. It was interesting, but I didn't want to take any time on it. But an herb, okay? All the different herbs in your garden, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter. He's saying, that's good. It's great to tie. That's a good thing. God says to give 10% of your income, even 10% of, of every little thing that's yours as it grows, to give it to God. That's a great heart. But you should have practiced that without leaving the former undone. You should have practiced justice. Jesus says, you go through your herb gardens. I almost get this. You, know, you try to figure out, here it's growing up. So I'm going to snip off about 10% of my mint. And this is I'm going to give to God. And I'm going to... Just these Pharisees are out in their garden trying to measure out every little sprig and every little sprig. Sprout, make sure they give 10%. And 
because it's so important, every little detail that, that was that, maybe I was one leaf short. I'll give a tiny bit more just to make sure. He's saying, you know, you go through your herb gardens, you meticulously pick them out, but you don't love God and other people? Are you kidding me? Sure, tithing is awesome. It's important. It, it reflects your heart and it honors God. But how much more does it honor God to treat people with justice, justly, and to love people and to love God with all your heart? He says, you're so out of balance. Get out of the herb garden. Get into the, into the real stuff. He calls them out on their pride and their ego. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Oh, you are so fascinated and so drawn into that. You're looking for the approval and applause of men and not the approval of God. And again, it makes you unclean. Jesus says they, they, they actually polluted the people around them, even as they posed as super pure themselves. Um, he says, woe to you because you're like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. Well, see, in that culture, like today, we'd go, and you know, maybe you know someone who was buried at one of the local you know, graveyard cemeteries, and we'll go and visit and stuff. In that day, you wouldn't get near a grave. To touch a grave, to be too near it and actually come into contact with it would defile you, and there was a process of cleansing that was involved with it. Um, so uh, it, it defiled you, and, and it made the person unclean. So Jesus calls these supposedly super pure religious leaders, you know, these ones that ooh and ah, everybody looks up to. He calls them unmarked graves. I mean, he's saying you're defiled yourselves, and the fact that you're a grave that's unmarked means people are walking across you, touching you all the time, and they don't even know it. They are unknowingly are caught up in their legalism and filth. So here you are, Pharisees, supposed leaders, but you are impure, and you're dragging everybody down around you. You are unmarked graves. Oh, good. How's the meal going? I don't... I just picture Jesus comes in. He's ready for the meal. The surprise, and maybe some of the grumbling and stuff happens, and then Jesus starts continuing with his teaching, but this time it's direct, and he's going for it. I don't think they're passing the soup bowl right now. right? He's just going here. And we find out that there are multiple Pharisees there, and there are also what are sometimes called scribes. They're experts in the law, in the Jewish law. All the different translations talk about lawyers or this or that. But to figure that these people might not be so much of the wear the robe and be the leader, but these guys really know the meticulous details of the law. They are the students of the law. And so, um, so there are some people. Some of them are at the meal as well. And one of them chimes in at this point in verse 45 because, woe to you, Pharisees, woe to you, Pharisees, woe to you, Pharisees. And one of the scribe kind of chimed in and says, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Us scribes. Us. <laughs> I wonder if the other law experts cringed when this man said that, you know. Because up to that point, they've been kind of flying under the radar there. They've been watching their Pharisee brethren just get shredded and kind of like, Oh boy, Pharisees, bummer for you. And then one of them says this, and they're like, Oh no. <laughs> You opened it up. You said, what about us? This is offensive to us as well. Jesus is going to turn his sights on us. Nice going, Einstein. Now we're in trouble. And they were. Because Jesus calls out the legal experts too. They, they made impossible demands. That's the note that I made that comes from this. It's, it's extreme legalism. Jesus replied, and you, speaking of you, I'm sorry I offended you, but... You experts in the law, you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. 
You're so concerned with every little thing. Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you have your quiet time today? Did you, did you, did you, did you, did you? And they actually added all this extra stuff to the law. And the law was, God put the law in place first to show what would please him, but also to show that you can't do it on your own. If you read through Leviticus, if you read through Deuteronomy, you read through Old Testament law and you see all these laws that were there. Wow, God, there's no way they could keep all that. That was the point. God says, to be perfect, here's... Here's what you have to do. <laughs> and my point of saying that, God says, is to show that you can't and that you need to look for a solution outside of yourself, provided in Jesus. And that's what's there, and that's what's right before them. Well, not only couldn't people keep the law, but the scribes were adding all these other things, things like even ceremonial washing, but all the little things they had to do. And he's saying, what are you doing? You, you, you make it impossible for the people, and you don't even really care. You don't even look to help at all. He accuses them of intolerance. And, and these verses, it, it kind of get lost in the middle. And I didn't have time to unpack all this as I studied it. But for today, the verses that talk about they're building tombs for the prophets that were killed and all that sort of stuff that goes on. I just want to briefly touch on that and let you know they, they really highlight the fact that the legal experts of the day, they were intolerant of the prophets. The legal experts, the scribes of that day and historically were intolerant of the prophets because the prophets showed up and shook things up from their comfortable ways. They looked at things and spoke the truth that God put before them and said, what you're doing is ridiculous. And they said, I don't like that. I'm going to kill you. I mean, in a nutshell, as you look at the history of the prophets. And so they elevated their own ideas above God's revelation, and they were then guilty of the blood of all those prophets. I'm not going to tolerate you trying to tell me what God's saying. I want to do what I want to do. And so that whole passage is really accusing them of, of really the guilt of all of the prophets as well. Finally, he, he accuses them of what I would say, call exclusiveness, exclusiveness in verse 52. And there's more here, but I just tried to boil them down. He says, woe to you experts in the law. Remember, he started with the Pharisees until the one guy goes, what about us? You know, wait, you're insulting us. Let me, let me get more detailed. And he goes after him. Woe to you experts in the law. One more, right? Because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering See, really, they'd taken away clarity on how the people could enter into God's kingdom, reserving those keys for themselves. They had burdened the people with so many much extra stuff, and it just became so convoluted that the people were like, I don't even know how to find God and where God's kingdom is. And they kind of sat back. Bummer for you. I guess I am more holy than you. And Jesus is saying, you're not entering God's kingdom either. So you're messing it up for everybody else, and you aren't doing it either. So everybody loses. How, how, how is this a good thing? They've taken away the clarity, and they, they, they remain trapped in their own hypocrisy and legalism. Now, as I picture the meal here, at this point, Jesus leaves. You know, he, he, you know, just as you think through chronologically, he's boom, 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 Pharisees, boom, 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 you're calling me on my hands, here's the truth. The scribe's going, wait, you're insulting us. Well, speaking of you, and then he boom, boom, boom with that, and then, and then off he goes. This didn't happen at meals, and so I'm thinking, did he even eat? No, it doesn't say. Maybe he did. Maybe this happened over the course of it. It just sounds kind of, kind of harsh, right, and kind of just one thing after the next, and Jesus goes, and he's basically saying, you didn't even listen. You invited me in as a rabbi and a teacher, but you didn't even listen to what I taught about purity. The next verses say, they began to oppose him fiercely. <laughs> really? 
they had had enough, and as Jesus fully exposed their ex- supposed purity as filth, it didn't sit well with them. And this is, a, this is a turning point in the book of Luke, where before then he'd had opposition and stuff, but there was kind of this, we're still checking him out. And at this point, they're like, we're done checking him out. You know, he just let us have it. It's time to do something different. So here's what the passage is. It's talking about the Pharisees, the, the religious rulers, the legalistic people, the people that were so concerned about what, how things looked on the outside. For us, what can we pull from the meal? <laughs> I really started to look at that and not just go, that was interesting. I can learn what rue is. I can learn some, mm, I can try and understand some of this. What can I learn? And hopefully it's not how to offend a host, right? Next time someone invites me for a meal, oh boy, I'm going to do what Jesus did. That's not what you're supposed to pull from this, okay? I just want to be clear. Joining Jesus at his table and getting clean. And these are a a few in your outline of fill in the blanks and some things for us. First of all, I'd ask you as you walk through that to say, do you see yourself anywhere in any of those things that the Pharisees did? Do sometimes the details get in the way of the big picture? Do sometimes looking good to other people become more important than looking good to God? Well, let's take a look. First of all, the things to learn from uh, as we look to join Jesus at his table and getting clean, the inside is more important than the outside. It's just a basic concept that overflows and, and permeates this whole thing is that the inside is more important than the outside. And then I put in capital letters, believe it. Because I think most of us would agree with that. I say, well, John, of course the inside is more important than the outside, but I don't know that we actually act on it. I don't know if we actually, if our, if our behavior really shows that we do believe it. We need to believe it enough to do it, to look inside first and know that this is what God values. You see, it's so easy to get caught up looking good to others, you know, saying the right super spiritual words. Someone talks to you and you say, I'll pray for you. Well, maybe I did or maybe I didn't pray, but I said, I'll pray for you. And, and then I didn't. But it sounded good, and I sounded spiritual. Making sure people know that you read your Bible this morning or that you had good quality devotions or making sure, making sure, you know. Even raising your hands during worship. Now, i got to tell you, raising your hands, however you might do that is where you are in your spiritual journey. During worship can be an awesome way to give God your whole heart as you offer yourself to him. But it's only going through the motions if, if it doesn't come from your heart. Okay, If it doesn't come from your heart, if it's not from inside, it's worthless. God wants your heart and your worship and, and your being clean starts on the inside. So I, I imagine that I'm not going after anybody who does or doesn't raise hands. This is just one of the illustrations. We talked about devotion, we talked about prayer. I'll pray for you. But I think, I imagine the Pharisees might have been some of the biggest arm worshipers of the day had they done that in that time. Oh God, you are so good, Lord God. And they didn't, all they were doing that was for you, for you to go, wow, that guy, man, he's really holy and spiritual. So I'm all for raising your hands in terms of if that comes from your heart. But it comes from your heart. That's what God looks at. A heart that, that shows up in a raised hand, in an arm or something like that. On your outline, only God provides heart cleansing and he offers it to you. You see, that's what we can pull from this passage. A key point here is that self-help is no help at all here. You can scrub all you want, but you'll never be clean enough to be totally pure. That's only offered in Jesus. Give the soap and the scrub brush to him and allow him to have his way in you. It's called grace, right? It's him doing for us what we can't do for ourselves and doing what really we don't deserve, like giving us full forgiveness and new life and eternal life and purpose and freedom and, and, and renewed joy. 
And really here, I put down a simple little series of questions you can ask to see where you're at as you look to have a meal with Jesus, to have community, to have communion with Jesus, to have fellowship. The truth is Jesus accepts all of us and will eat with all of us because we're all unclean. He just wants us to acknowledge that and to turn to him as the answer. And you can evaluate yourself a bit as you, as you look inside and ask, first of all, do I love what God loves? So you say, where, where do I stand in this? God, God's willing to eat and wants to eat and dine and have fellowship and have communion, relationship with me, but, but where am I at? So I first say, do I love what God loves? Because the Pharisees did not. That's what, what Jesus was pointing out. You say you're godly people, and yet what God wants and you want are two very different things. Do I seek the things God seeks? Does my heart beat for the things that are important to him? Or does my agenda and passions come first, my own? The next question, am I trying to look good to others or please God? Am I trying to look good to others or please God? Which is more important to me? See, the problem is that sometimes we get strokes and affirmation from other people that's easy to see, you know, and it's easy to receive, and it makes us feel so good, you know, kind of that immediate gratification. It can even make us feel important. Stand a little taller, but living to please God is the answer. It's a mark of his living us in us and cleansing us. And I got to say that for me, this is sometimes a big deal, you know, just as a person, but let alone as a pastor. Just to be honest, as I look through this and say, you know, to who I come across is make sure we've got it together, even on stage admitting that I struggle, but then you'll go, wow, he's so humble and honest, and I can stand a little taller because I'm so... It's not about standing taller, is it? But God, gosh, what other people think of us can be so big. I should do this so that others... No. Doing it in the quiet, doing it in the closet, do it in the darkness... Do it for God because that's where my heart is. Third question, does my life direct others towards Jesus? Does my life direct others towards Jesus? Does my love of Jesus draw others to him or does it intimidate them? Do, does I, do I somehow push others away sometimes, you know? Sometimes I can love Jesus in a way that will intimidate other people. You know, do it so strong. I could never be that holy. I could never, I could never do what that person does. Or, or maybe my fanaticism towards Jesus pushes people away because it's too much. You know, maybe it's, it's too strong. It's, it's not attractive. It's not winsome. It's not appealing. Maybe somebody can't see Jesus in me because my strong human response to Jesus gets in the way of his light shining through me. Can I get out of the way? so that the Holy Spirit can do his work. So it's less about John and more about Jesus in each and every way. Can that be true for you as well? So that Jesus shows up and they see more and more in Jesus and less and less of John. The next question is simply, do I want to be clean? Do I want to be clean? And this is a simple question. You'd say, well, of course, who, who wouldn't? But it's an important question. Do you desire what Jesus offers? Because to want to be clean means you need to submit to the cleansing process. And, and do you desire what Jesus offers, which is a renewed, a cleansed heart that will show up in your actions? See, maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never truly, wholly given Jesus all of your life. You've kind of dabbled in it. You've thought about it. Maybe you've said, no, thank you, whatever. But for if you're not a follower of Jesus, he wants you just the way you are. And he wants to have a meal with you. And he he can't wait to love you up close, to take you into his family and cleanse your heart, turning you into the masterpiece he created you to be. 
he created you with such a, a dream of potential that he wants to work with you on if you'll just allow him. Cleansing is the beginning of that. But maybe you're already a follower of Jesus. You made a decision last week, a year ago, maybe it was decades ago when you said, yes, Jesus, I want you in my heart. That's awesome. But maybe, maybe you're at a point now where you're ready to turn over the reins of that one area of control in your life that you know isn't clean. You know, it's that one little thing. We, we sometimes don't like to call it sin. We like to call it a struggle. I struggle in that area. It makes my shoulders do that. Sorry. I struggle in that area. I think in this context, Jesus might say if it was the Pharisees, he'd just call it sin. <laughs> You're struggling with sin. It's a struggle, but it's struggling with sin. And maybe it's time to say, that's an area that needs to, needs to be cleansed. And, and I need to turn that over. You know, I've kind of scrubbed at it a bit myself from time to time, but I've kind of held on to it. You see, Jesus loves you regardless but you aren't totally free until you give it over to him. And then he can't totally use you until you do as well. So it's not only making you unclean and, and hurting you, but it's, not, it's, it's getting in God's way of using you. You're blocking what he wants to do in you and through you. Jesus desires us to be clean inside and out, but he invites us to eat with him no matter what our condition did you catch that? You don't have to clean up first and then come to Jesus. Jesus says, come the way that you are, but I love you too much to leave you where you're at. Come the way you are, and I love you so much, we're going to start cleaning you from the inside out and helping you become what I intended you to be. Well, final thought as we battle the legalism and, and, and all the things that can come from our own paralyzing thoughts and maybe from some people around us, it's, it's all this bold section at the bottom. Battling legalism, battling what is put on us to have to perform. We're not made clean by simply avoiding the bad and behaving perfectly. The list of don't do this, the list of do this. That isn't what makes us clean. We're made clean by allowing Jesus to have his way in us each and every moment. I checked my computer this morning early. <laughs> I, I had a devotional email emailed to me, one verse. It's for pastors on Sunday mornings. And I thought, God, I wonder if you want to say something to me in your word this morning. Titus 2.14. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawless, lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. I'm like, are you kidding me? Throw away my 30-minute message and just read that verse. It's right there. I, I knew you'd get lost in the, we might get lost in the words. Listen to it. It's not in your outline because I got it an hour ago or two hours ago, whatever. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us, to save us, to lift us up from all lawlessness, to get us out of the muck, the dirt, the mud hole. He gave himself, sacrificed him, gave his life to lift us out of the mud hole and to cleanse for himself, for him, a people for his own possession to say, you're mine. Because Jesus comes right in front of you right now and wraps a big bear hug around you and says, you're mine, you're mine. Oh, you're mine for your own possession. And it ends with this, a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. He 
he's lifted me out of the mud hole. He's cleansed me. He's wrapped his arms around me. He said, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're mine. I can't wait for what God's doing inside of me to show on the outside. It's going to be good, clean stuff. I'm, I'm eager to help the poor. I'm eager to serve others. I'm eager to be more compassionate. I'm eager to, to give when I can. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to exercise the gifts that he's given me. Woe to you, Pharisees. But the answer is right before you. In Jesus, today, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. And man, we've had an opportunity to see Jesus go to a meal and, and commit cultural faux pas all over the place. Even by skipping the washing thing, Lord, doesn't totally make sense, except in big picture it does. It gives them the opportunity to speak truth. But, um, but God, then to go after the people that are there during a mealtime, which just isn't often done, and yet you knew it would have maximum impact. And God, you want to speak to us today as well, not just to have us shake our heads at those losers, those Pharisees and scribes, but to say, God, that can be me so often. I can fall into that looking good to others and living a hypocritical life and, and getting glossed in the little petty things instead of focusing on the major things and, and leading people astray and, and all the different things that can happen, God. I thank you that you offered to cleanse me. You did that once in my life many years ago, Jesus, when I invited you in. And you want to do that today for anybody here that desires it. If that's you today and you've never done it, you put your faith in Jesus put your trust, your belief in him by saying, I believe. You ask him to forgive you, to cleanse you from everything you've ever done. And then ask him to lead your life. Ask him to just take you from where you are and, and to love you into a new place. And he does that instantaneously and then over time. And God, for those of us that have already prayed that prayer, God, we just know that we sometimes don't feel clean. Lord, we just place ourselves before you for your scrub brush and say, I submit to you, Lord God, today. Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. Holy Spirit, I submit to the work you want to do in my life and in my heart. I want to please God. And I want to be eager to do good works as a result of what you're doing in me. In Jesus' name, amen.